Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King this morning. We're continuing in our sermon series entitled First Impressions. What we're doing is we're simply looking at uh, some initial reactions to Jesus. What did the people who first encountered Jesus think of him when they saw him? Uh, so we've looked at Jesus was, assumed, was, was viewed as a kind person. Uh, last week, we, we looked at a controversial figure. This week, we're going to look at a very common first impression, one that endures to today, and that is Jesus was viewed as a very wise person. Uh, and I think if you have a, just a passing knowledge of Jesus, uh, that's probably uh, an impression that you have. He was wise. And we're going to find that that was true, uh, but not sufficient. Uh, I, I will see by the end. But certainly, Jesus was viewed as a wise person. Think of the many stories that you have in the Gospels that really highlight the fact that yeah, Jesus knew what he was doing. I mean, he was dealt some really difficult questions. On one occasion, some, uh, some of his opponents came to him and said, so, teacher, I've got one for you. Is it right to give taxes to Caesar or not? And that's a complex question for reasons we need not get into, but it's very, it's a dicey question. And so Jesus has the risk of offending by saying one thing, offending another party, one party saying something else. He, this is a minefield of a question. So what does Jesus do? In his wisdom, he says, let me see that coin of yours. Takes the coin, holds it up. Tell me, who's, who's image? Caesar's image, they say. Well, I'll tell you what. You just give to Caesar what belongs to him. You give to God what belongs to God. Wise, brilliant. It's one of the first impressions that you find of Jesus. Actually, Jesus is uh, the only story of him as a child uh, is in the Gospel of Luke. And in that story, Jesus is lost. He's left behind. He's hanging out at the temple uh, with the teachers of the law. Isn't that where you would be if you were just hanging out? That's where Jesus was. And it says in the Gospel of Luke that they were amazed at his wisdom and his understanding. Jesus is a wise person. And here in this uh, passage we have for us in John's Gospel, we're going to see that that's a, that's a very apt, apt description. And he, in fact, is wise. He's recognized first and foremost as a rabbi, uh, a, a teacher, a person with a good uh, with wisdom. Now, I think as we'll see that uh, there's a lot that, that this passage says about our relationship to our teacher and what it means to be a follower of him. But the original, the initial impression of these first disciples and the reasons that they jumped ship, they were with John, they jumped ship and started following Jesus, was because he appeared to be a wise teacher, rabbi. What we're going to see as we look at this passage, we're really just going to be focused on verses 35 and following. So you want to have that passage out in front of you. We're going to see a couple of things. We're going to look at this word disciple. We hear it all the time, especially in connection to uh, the Christian faith. What's it mean? What, what is the quality of a disciple? That'll be our first question. These all sort of relate to one another. The second question we're going to consider is uh, where, where does discipleship occur? That seems like a little bit of an obtuse question. I think, you'll, I think it's pretty fascinating. Where does discipleship occur? And then third and final, what is the goal of Christian discipleship? So those are three questions that I want to consider as we approach this passage and approach this, approach this subject that Jesus is viewed, the first impression of him is that he was a wise, a wise teacher. So what does it mean to be 
a disciple, a disciple under a rabbi, under a wise teacher. You know, I don't think there's any great one English word that uh, accounts for this word discipleship. I think it probably would have to use the relationship of a teacher to a student, so it's part intellectual formation, but it's also a coach to an athlete, a mentor to a mentee. I think if you combine all those three together, you probably have a little bit of what it means to be a disciple. And the one quality, we could say a lot about what discipleship entails and what it implies, but the one, I want to focus on one quality of a disciple. And it's a quality, quality that you see here uh, in this passage. It's a quality you see throughout uh, John's gospel especially. And it's a quality that it sounds kind of wimpy in English, but it has a great Latin phrase. And the Latin phrase is docere. The quality of a disciple is docere. So I'm taking uh, classes up from Catholic universities, so I'm, I'm being exposed to all these Latin phrases. Docere. What is docere? It's, a, it's the word that we get docent. Uh, it's also the word from which we get docile. And that's sort of the, the, the English translation that sounds a little bit milquetoast, doesn't it? Who wants to be docile? Not me. Uh, docile sort of implies that, you know, you've, you're spineless, whichever way the wind blows, that's the way I'm going to go. But to be docile is to be teachable, to be open. Think of a docent. Robbie is a docent for the Museum of the Bible, so Robbie's had the master walking backwards. I'm, I'm, I'm just picturing this. And if you're under his leadership, if you are docile in front of a docent, Robbie says, walk this way, look over to my, got to keep the left and the right correct. But as a, if you're docile in front of a docent, you're, you're open, okay. I'll walk that way. I'll look here. I'll learn this. That's the mark of a disciple. It doesn't sound too remarkable, right? Docility. It sounds a little bit better in Latin, docere. Uh, but uh, think of the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs says that the beginning of wisdom is what? Fear of God. Now, why would that be the case? Why would, why would the book of Proverbs, which is a book that's geared to give you and me wisdom, why would the most fundamental starting point be fear of God? Well, because a person who fears God knows that God is big, and, and they're not. The person who fears God knows that God's perspective is unlimited, and our perspective is very small. And the person who fears God knows that God is knowledgeable, and our knowledge is limited. And so the person who fears God is what? He's docile. He's, he's willing to be corrected. He's willing to be guided. He or she is willing to, to put it in biblical terms, he or she is willing to repent. I, I, was, I did think that. I was walking this way. I, now I stand corrected. And now you see docility teachability. It's a great thing, and it's a great thing if you see it in someone who's out of school, isn't it? Right? We tend to think at, you graduate 18 from high school, if you go to college, 21, and you're done. You're done being teachable. Whew. Docility is a mark of 
maturity. Think of what Bob Dylan wrote in back pages. I was so much older then. I'm younger then than now. Docility is a mark of maturity. This past week we were listening, I was listening to uh, an older, wiser, and more accomplished pastor speak about some of the difficulties that have been facing the church. And if you've been even remotely aware, you just know it's not been a good couple of months for the church. And I don't mean this church, I mean just the, the church with leaders following and falling and making mistakes of really heinous uh, of a, nat- of a really troubling nature. And this person stood up after many years of pastoral leadership, and they didn't tell us everything that we needed to know. He simply came to us as someone who was docile, someone who acknowledged, boy, I have made mistakes in this area. I'm, I'm learning. I want to be a learner. Docility It's a mark of maturity. Don't give it up when you graduate. Keep it. So that's the mark of a disciple, docility. Next, I want to look at where discipleship occurs. It doesn't sound like a very exciting question. I think it's great. I only noticed it this week. Don't look at your text. We're going to have a little fill in the blank. They see the teacher. They see the rabbi. And they say, teacher, where are you? Now fill in the blank. If you had this teacher that you really liked, and you wanted to know where, you wanted just to learn from them. Or you had a preacher that you thought, boy, that guy is just brilliant. I want to, preacher, where are you? What would you say? Preacher, where are you preaching? Teacher, where are you teaching? What class are you going to be in? Because I'm going to sign up for that one. What did they ask? Teacher, where are you? Staying, where are you living? That's kind of weird, isn't it? What do you think the implications are that these disciples were not so much interested in the classroom, but they were interested in where you were staying? Like, think about it. What would you learn from somebody by being in their home that you would not learn from being in their class? A whole lot. You learn how they treat the people that are closest to them. You learn about how they navigate the mundane challenges of life. You learn about their perseverance. You learn do they put up the dishes? Or do they let them pile up in the sink? You learn do they go to bed on time? Or do they stay up all night binge-watching? Do they eat too much? Do they drink too much? These are, the thing, what, these are the things that you learn from being in someone's home that you would not learn from being in their classroom. Right? Christian discipleship is more than just input of information. Teacher, not where are you teaching. Teacher, where are you living? Because I want to see how you live. We're teaching a course on creeds. Credo, I believe, and we are a creedal faith, and creeds are important. I hope you're able to join us. I think we'll have a great class uh, after worship. But never assume that Christian faith is simply saying, "Uh uh-huh, at the appropriate times. And if you can say, "Uh uh-huh, 
Then welcome to the family. Do you believe in God? Uh Uh-huh. Come on in. Right? I'm not discounting the importance of creeds, but just reflect with me. They wanted to be in the home to see not just what he knew, but how he lived. Back to this unsavory subject of all the challenges that have fallen, um, that the church has encountered across denominations. You know, there's a lot of instructions in the New Testament about what you should expect from the person here in this pulpit. If this is not your church, then from your church, uh, your pastor. And it's found all throughout the epistles. And uh, interestingly, most of the characteristics that you should expect from the person here, 99% are character traits, and the majority of them relate to the home. Is the person gentle? If they're married, what's their marriage like? Are there children? Is the person raising their children well? Only one skill is mentioned. It's only mentioned one. It's like one out of ten. The skill is to be able to teach. And the implications are clear. You should care more, friends, about the person's character Monday through Saturday than you should care about what comes out of my mouth on Sunday. I'm not saying, well, that may came out. I want to, what comes out of my mouth on, on Sunday or the, what comes out from here is important. But do you see the emphasis? It's on the character. And I think we're all getting tired of the great words and the lousy life. And where is life revealed? In the home. Where do these disciples want to be? Home. I think this is applicable to all of our situations, all of your work. What do you need to succeed? Do you need skill? Sure. Doesn't hurt. Does someone in this role need to be able to teach? Yep, that's a good thing. Do you need skill in whatever your vocations are? You sure do. But you need character. You need nine points of character to every one point of skill. General Schwarzkopf had a great quote. He said, uh, leadership requires character and strategy. But if you had to choose one, uh, go with character every time. I think that's a great question. Teacher, where do you live? Let me see your life. I want to be formed, not just have an input of information, but I want to see how you live. I want to follow that. So that's where... Uh, discipleship occurs. Third and final, I want, to see, well, I want us to see what is the goal of Christian discipleship. And there's a great interaction in this passage. And so these uh, two disciples, they, they hang out with Jesus for the evening. It says they come uh, to his home at the 10th hour. Presumably they stay for the entire night. And they get up the next morning and they're so excited about what they've learned And so they go tell their closest friends and family, we have, don't look at your text, because we're going to look at what they are so excited. 
Yeah, I'm convinced that education is uh, wasted on the young. I hated school as a teenager. I really didn't like it too much as a college student. I only actually liked school when I entered it as a graduate student. If I could be a full-time student, I would. It's just the pay is so lousy. I, again, taking these classes from, uh, from uh, Catholic U during the it's a summer semester, and I would come back from these classes and say, kids, Guess what I learned? And my long-suffering children would have to endure all these, you know, arcane things that I picked up between the difference between, or the connection between architecture and uh, theology. And I was excited. It was great. And I wanted to tell them. So these two disciples have been in class. They've been with Jesus the entire night. And they're excited to tell their friends, guess what we learned? What did they learn? Did they learn, you know, Judaic law? Did they learn some of the fine points of their faith? No. They learned about their teacher. Do you see that? Come meet somebody. Come meet the Messiah. In other words, the subject of this teacher's course was himself. Think of how weird that would be, just for a moment. If you had some great teacher who stood up and said, all right, for 101, first part of our course, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself. Second part of the course, we're going to tell you a little bit how I'm the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Third part, I'm going to tell you how I'm the fulfillment of all your hopes and your dreams. Fourth part, I'm going to tell you how I'm the, the path to your eternal salvation. Whoa. You see, that's the conclusion that they came to having been with Jesus. That's why C.S. Lewis got, uh, had his uh, famous formula. You may be familiar with this. That Jesus cannot be simply a wise teacher. That this first impression, though accurate, is insufficient. He can't just be wise because the person who said the types of things that he said would be a crazy person. He'd either be a liar, a lunatic, or, as C.S. Lewis concluded, and many have, that he is the Lord. So there you have it. You have the attitude of a disciple in front of their teacher, and that is docile. You see the place where discipleship occurs, and you see the primacy of character, not just what we know, but in, on, on the character that's revealed through the home. And you see the subject of Christian discipleship, which is, of course, Jesus. And I think we're all, we're all disciples of someone, unconsciously, unknowingly. None of us are as original as we'd like to think. I think we're all sort of following the path to be like another. And the Christian disciple has made the deliberate choice to be with Jesus in order to be like him, to be docile in front of him. And I'll tell you one of the surefire ways that you know you're on the path to discipleship is that when you have these moments, when you feel the push and pull of docility, you see, Jesus says, love your enemies. And you think, I don't want to love my enemies. That sounds like a dumb idea. 
But the disciple says, of Jesus says, okay, all right, I'll give it a shot. They're docile. Jesus says intimacy is for the context of a man and a woman and the confines of marriage. That seems like a bad idea. Okay, I'll give it a shot. You see, there's a great proverb that says, don't be like the horse or the mule who got to yank around with a bit in its mouth. No, docile in front of him. And the disciples in John's gospel are a great example for us. In John's gospel especially, because you get the sense throughout that they, they, they're just kind of stumbling along. You know, they don't always, under, they rarely understand. They rarely like. They're rarely excited. There's this great line where one of the disciples, Thomas, Jesus says, all right, I'm going to Jerusalem. Who's in? Thomas says, all right, we'll go with you to die. Like, ho-hum. Right, it's just, you know, being a disciple of Jesus doesn't mean you're high-fiving all the time. Doesn't mean you comprehend. Doesn't mean you like it. It means you're open. And if you don't know Jesus, I guess the question for you to ponder is, are you, is 1% of you open to the possibility that he could be who he says he is, like who Christians have affirmed him to be? That is more than a teacher, a savior. I want to conclude by citing a passage uh, that I think just gives a great summary of the goal of discipleship. And you'll hear that discipleship involves more than just the imparting of information, but it involves a formation of life, of being with Jesus in order to be formed by him. And that's when the Apostle Paul says in the book of Philippians, he says, I want to know Christ I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to be like him. I want to share in his sufferings. I want to become like him in his death so that I may join him in the resurrection. Isn't that great? I want to know him. I want to be docile in front of him so that I, at the end, may be like him.